All right. You guys ready for a fall semester? You've been feeling that time coming, just ready to jump in. Raise your hand if you have school starting this week. Tomorrow? And you're still here. That's good. It's a good sign. Now, when I mean school starting, I don't mean this lame thing that they do now where you show up for an hour and like drop off your books and, and meet your teacher like you're in kindergarten. Is that what you mean by school starting? No, you, you got a full day tomorrow? Full on. Okay. All right. Congratulations. Well, we're starting several new things together. And uh, one thing that's starting right now is our study of the book of Galatians. This is going to take us through the next few months together and titling this Verified. And, and, and that little symbol, that little blue check right there in that, that image, if you get a blue check on Instagram, I think Twitter was the first social media company to introduce this. It means that you have a verified account. And of course, one of the reasons why they had to do this was because of all the fake accounts that were being created for celebrities and sports icons and musicians. Uh, and so you need something that you know has a, a, a mark of, this is the real person who they, they're claiming to be. Um, for example, you know, earlier, just today, uh, Donald Trump uh, tweeted from his verified account, this new LCC Youth series on Galatians is going to be fabulous. So he's, uh, he's very enthusiastic, and uh, that got 899,000 retweets. So we've got a global scene uh, following along uh, with us. But this, this verification, it's not just a mark of legitimacy. It's a statement of status because, you know, let, let's just face it, you, you and I aren't ending up with a blue check anytime soon. According to Twitter, a verified account, it, it, it represents those that are of public interest, which is just a, a, a polite way of saying you have to be really popular. Like people have to care about you in order to care whether or not that's, that's the real you. It means that you, with your thousands of followers, have arrived. You've finally received the blue check, right? Taylor Swift, of course, She's got her blue check verification right there with eight, uh, 84 million followers and uh, following zero. And that, that's, that's classic Taylor Swift right there. That's a, that's a sick burn move on her part. You got you to gotta love that. In fact, there's a little bit of the Apostle Paul in that as well that we'll, we'll hear today. But, but notice right under her blue check, she has support the Equality Act. And so she's talking about... LGBT rights there. And so, you know, apparently being uh, a, a popular singer now makes you an expert on moral and social issues, but she's got a platform and she gets to, to speak from her, her verified platform. And the letter to the Galatians is all about what makes us verified before God and before other people. And what makes us legit? What kind of approval are we after? And how do you get it? What do you have to do? What do you have to achieve to arrive? 
Well, well, there was a certain claim of, of the people that were coming in and teaching the churches in Galatia, and so Paul's not writing just to, to one congregation. There, there are several churches that he had visited, he had planted, he's cared for them over the years, and, and he finds out that this, this new group of teachers have rolled into town. And, and they were saying this, that the, the blue check that you need to be verified, to be on good terms with God, and to be part of this Christian club that we'll, we're building here is something called circumcision. And we're going to take some time uh, to look at about that, consider that in the weeks to come in this series. But, but first, Galatians answers this question. You know, not only what makes you a verified person, but it begins by presenting a verified message. What's going to happen after September 20th? Anybody tracking with history here? It's going to be a day that will make history because finally all of the aliens in Area 51 will be released. And so the Facebook event, Storm Area 51, they can't stop all of us, has 2 million people going and and 1.4 million people, they're just interested. They're a little bit on the fence as to whether or not they're going to invade uh, this government facility. Uh, but they can be persuaded. By the way, in the top right, you know, also featured event, the Biblical Theology Workshop for Women. All the girls in here recommend it happening in October uh, after all the aliens have been released. Uh, but, but, you know, this raises a question, right? How should we think about the message of the gospel, about what you and I read in this book, that claims to be from God. Right? Is, that, is that like the aliens in Area 51? You know, a cultural legend. If enough people believe it, you know, they, they got to be hiding something. After all, what other secrets could a government agency possibly keep uh, besides extraterrestrials? Right? So is, is the gospel message like that? Or is it verified? Well, Paul's going to make a case that this is verified by God himself, and therefore believers are verified by God himself. So turn open to Galatians chapter 1. I hope you brought a Bible with you. Here's how I work with putting verses on the screen. Uh, All the things that are outside of the main thing we're studying, I put there so you can find them real fast. But Galatians 1, you got to turn there and, and put your eyes on the page or on your phone if you must. Galatians 1, and we're going to read 1 through 12 to start. This letter starts moving fast, so be warned, buckle your seatbelts, keep your hands inside the vehicle at all times, okay? Paul, an apostle... Not from men, nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead. And all the brothers who are with me, to the churches of Galatia, grace to you, and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. I am astonished. 
that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we, or an angel from heaven, should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we've said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. For am I now seeking the approval of man? Or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Father, these, these are strange words to our ears. Lord, there's something that's very different here than much that we're used to interacting with and listening to. And Lord, we are, we are prone to miss it. Would you help that not happen? Lord, would, would we not be able to sit through this meeting and be unaffected, Lord, unscathed, un, unmoved by the weight and the, the emotion, and the significance of what Paul in your word communicates to us here. God, will we lock our attention on your truth? We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Well, you, you can hear it. There, there's something that comes alive inside the Apostle Paul here. There's something burning inside of him. And if you remember, the, uh, my clicker just went under the stage. Recovery moment. If you remember the Switchfoot song that Pastor Keith quoted at youth camp, The Afterlife, they say this, I've tasted fire and I'm ready to come alive. I can't just shut it up and fake that I'm all right. And that's what Paul sounds like here. There's something burning within him. And he comes to life, and he, he's not going to pretend like this situation is okay. He is animated here. He is deadly serious. He's not mildly interested. Right? Honestly, he doesn't sound nice. He sounds mean. And, and we're not really used to people talking this way today. But actually, we are. Because we, we live in a culture that does know how to, how to get outraged, about the things that matter to them. Right? When, when people perceive some idea, some practice, some association as wrong, right? they, they, they know how to pull out the hashtags and the exclamation points. Right? They know how to subtweet. They know, they, they know how to go to task on something that they think is dangerous. And in fact, I mean, you, you get this from when you're really little and your, your parents are telling you not to touch the stove and not run in the street. There's, there's a so, certain tone that's appropriate when there is danger in front of you, which, which is what makes, you know, the, the OG Willy Wonka, Gene Wilder, you know, so hilarious when, when he says things like, help, 
police, murder. You know, what, what he's saying does not line up with the way that he's communicated. Kids are drowning. Little kids are getting stretched out because they've been shrunk down. The man is either a psychopath or, you know, something from your wildest dreams here. But something doesn't quite line up with his, his tone. But Paul's tone matches what's at stake because there are people that are playing with eternity, right? Souls are on the line. This is what I mean by this sounds strange because we don't think in this way. Just in, in daily life, that, that people's souls are being held in the balance of what's being communicated here. He says in verse 6, I'm astonished that you're so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, not that there is another one, right? He, he can't finish the sentence, and he, he interrupts himself. He, he cuts himself off. He says, excuse me, I don't want you to get the wrong idea. Not that there is any other contender. Not that there is any other option. Another gospel is no gospel. An, an, another claim uh, at good news to rescue you, to fix your life, to heal your brokenness, to, to bring you to a good place, anything else that somebody can present to you, anything else that streams into your life, it is no good news at all. To alter the gospel is, is to distort it, right? The, the word that he uses there. It, it's a word that's used for this strong contrast and, and change. It's the same word that gets used in the Old Testament when, you know, the, the uh, waters of the Nile River get turned into blood. So what, what was once refreshing and, and life-giving is now a, a plague on the land. It's a word that's used for when the, the light is turned into darkness, so he talks about when, when, when people put their hands on God's gospel, it no longer saves. It no longer gives life and light, but darkness and death. It's a fundamental change. And we're going to discover this in this, in this series because the, the false teachers that the, the Galatians were, were giving an audience to, the, the, you know, they, they weren't denying that Jesus was the Messiah. They weren't denying that Jesus was God. They were making these subtle additions to what you have to do in order to get a blue check in your life, in order to be acceptable to God. But to add to the gospel is to subtract from it. To adjust it is to abandon it. To revise it is to reverse it. You can think of this example that, that Timothy Keller gives. Y'all know what a vacuum is? What's a vacuum? I'm not talking about this one, which you also need to be introduced to. By the way, these exist in your house. They're normally kept in the closet. You can bring it out and pass it around the carpet every now and then. Uh, not that kind of vacuum. A vacuum is, is, is this sealed area where there's, there's no air. There's absolutely, there, there are no 
gas molecules. I mean, space, outer space is, is essentially a vacuum, which means that, you know, if you go out into outer space, you don't have on one of those protective EVA suits, then all the air that's inside of your lungs would just escape your body because there's no pressure anymore and everything inside of you starts expanding and doing weird stuff even before uh, you realize that you can't breathe. Uh, but a, a vacuum is, is, is an area of space where there is no air. And so you, you can't add a little bit of air and still have a vacuum. You have something else, but not a vacuum. And, and the gospel's like that. You, you, you can't add a little bit onto Jesus and onto his person and onto his work and still have the same thing. You have fundamentally changed what you're holding on to. And the Galatians seem to be content to go along with this. And Paul is astonished that they are departing from the truth. Now this, this feels very narrow here. All of us are affected by the fact that, that we, we live in a world where we're just exposed to more perspectives than ever, more viewpoints about life, about anything, about, you know, what does it mean to, to eat in, in a way that's nutritious, right? There, there used to be one idea, and then that would change every few years, every five to ten years, as a, there's a new thing that's getting published. But, but now, right now, you, you pull up the internet, and, and you got 10, 20, 30, 50 perspectives on, on even what it means to be healthy, you know, if you're going to order healthy food today, is it like going to just be large? You just sit down and sit and eat a plate of that? Some people think that, right? Is it all the stuff that the dinosaurs ate? I don't know if that's what paleo means, but that's what I imagine. Uh, you, just, you just got a, a mul multitude of viewpoints in any category, in, in religious and, and spiritual categories as well. And, and it's a culture where you and I are, are, are welcomed and, and honestly expected to celebrate that. There's just, there's diversity. There's diversity in, uh, not just in, you know, your, your, your culture or your ethnicity, but diversity of views about God and what it means to, to live in a meaningful way. And, and, and everybody's own little path and story, you know, our, our role is to come alongside and double tap and, and applaud in, in their own personal journey and figuring things out. And that's not the way that Paul sounds here. And, and, and honestly, it, I, I can feel today, pastorally, it feels like when, when I open up the Bible, I, I'm speaking with God's authority. But I don't know if that's the way that you're listening. Even if you're okay with, you know, I, I'll go along with these verses. I'll go along with sitting and, and listening. But, but, it, but I think there's, there's this background awareness that you have that eventually... Whatever we say here is, is going to become option C on a multiple choice test. And, and you might pick A one day, or you might pick D. There's no unique claim that this makes. Because even if you don't know what everybody else believes, you know other people believe different things. And, and the, the legitimacy of any particular claim, it starts to wear thin over time. But, you know, it sounds freeing to you do life the way you want to do it. You figure this stuff out, you know, to, to, to what extent you want to accept what's inside of this. That sounds freeing. But, but notice the way that Paul describes these people, right? Uh, back in verse 7, there are some who trouble you. 
and want to distort the gospel of Christ. He, he talks this way in this letter. He says, Galatians, when I, when I was visiting with you and I was telling you about Jesus, you were a joyful people. You, you, you were a free people. There were burdens that were lifted. And now you're troubled. Now you are trying to manage and keep up and make sure all the right boxes are checked in order to have a victorious life. Because you, 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 have, you have traded in your freedom for a treadmill. And you can't keep up. Right? Every other gospel whether it's another religious perspective, whether it's the, the error that the Galatians fell into, what, whether it's the latest stuff served up on social media, it's all about what you can do and how you can manage life and how you can get people to cooperate with you in order to achieve your dreams. Good luck with that. Good luck keeping up. Good luck keeping up with your own just emotional well-being and sense of security. But, but here's the reality. Every, every blue check that this world offers, it's either unattainable in this life or when you get it, it doesn't bring the security that you were looking for. Whether that's in some religious category or just I want, I want a boyfriend or I want to get into that school or I, I want to make it on that team or I want to be accepted by that particular group of people. And the moment that you arrive there, the question immediately starts to start inside of you. Is, was this really it? Is this what it feels like? And so notice how Paul began in verse 3. Grace to you and peace from God. And so Paul comes out guns blazing from the very beginning, but he, he pulls out his weapons and one is called grace and one is called peace. And he says, that, that's what I want for you. I've got grace for you and I want you to experience peace. But you can't leave the one message, the one plan that was designed to save your soul and to settle everything that's disturbed inside of you. God has organized in the only way possible one rescue for us out of our rebellion and brokenness. He's spoken one word of good news to a sinful world. And Paul's telling them, I brought you that. I gave it to you. Why do you think you now need something else? But the key is that they weren't just leaving behind a set of ideas. This is personal. He says, you are so quickly deserting him who called you. You're leaving him. Right? When, whenever people say, I, I don't like these ideas, I want these instead, or I want to mix them together and come up with my own little system here, they're not just sorting through things that, that sit on a screen. There's a real person who can be left behind in that moment. And Paul's saying, y'all are in danger of deserting the very one who's shown you mercy because some mere human being showed up and said, hey, can I, can I have another offer for you? 
I want you to hear the way that Paul sounds here because there, there are some deep convictions here. And then we'll, we'll take notice of, of what grounds all this in a moment. But, but look at what he says in verse 8. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. The word that he uses for accursed means to, to be sent to hell, to be damned by God. And the reason why he's saying that is because ultimately what they're bringing is something that will damn you if you embrace it. And so God is opposed. God is against it. But, but the, look at the characters he pulls up. Right, These would have been kind of the celebrity promoters of the day. Some super apostle or some angel, somebody that has the appearance of influence and, and spiritual authority, right? they come and they say, hey, you just need one more thing. That, that Jesus stuff is nice. If that works for you, great. But there are some other things that you need to come to affirm. And, and, and Paul's saying, do not believe them in that day. I don't care who they are. I don't care what apparent credibility and, and standing that they have in society. Right? This is not the only time that Paul sounds this way, that, that truth isn't a popularity contest. In, in Romans 3, verse 4, he says, let God be true, though everyone were a liar. Right? Even if, for me to say, God is right here, I would have to stare down every single person, all seven billion people on the planet, and say, you're a liar, you're a liar, you're a liar, you're a liar. I'm going to stick with God. Because I think his opinion matters. I think he knows what he's talking about. Every influencer, everybody who is somebody in this world, Paul says, you can line them up. I don't need them. Give something a billion likes, have it reposted by every verified account on social media, and that doesn't make it right. That doesn't make it true. There's a characteristic in Paul here that's been true of God's people throughout history. You can just reach back to different moments in time. You know, you go to the the fourth century, and there was a, a, a man named Athanasius. And, and the, the Christian world of his day was starting to think, maybe, you know, maybe Jesus was a great guy. Maybe he was, um, he, he was a hero. He, he, he lived a, an exemplary life. Uh, he was divine in some sense, but not really God. He was a created being. And, and, and the powers that be of his day and the people that had a following were teaching that. And at, at, at one point, one of his friends told, told him this, the world is against you, Athanasius. And he replied, then I am against the world. That's what Athanasius contra mundum means, against the world, if every human voice opposes what God has spoken, what will we do? 
right? I, I get the difficulty of this. I, I feel the same forces and the same pressures that you're feeling and, and that some of you are beginning to feel. Some of you have been feeling for a while. We, we're, we're surrounded by persuasive voices. We get messaging all the time about what we should promote or be about. But there's a deeply rooted confidence in the truth of God that Paul expresses here that I, I'm praying for myself and for all of you. But, but notice how he ups the ante here. He, he, he tells angels that they can go to hell. He says, if, if suddenly the, the ceiling were parted and, and, and down comes Gabriel, not, not, not the Vogel, but the angel, right? Gabriel shows up and he says, hey, Evan, could you wait a, a minute here? Um, everything you've been saying, it's great. Uh, there's a few details that you missed. You need to add a couple of things to what Jesus has done. And, and Gabriel, in all of his majesty, presents that. He's got like some PowerPoint uh, TED Talk that he shows as to how we were, there were some key things that we've been missing all along. Paul would say, Gabriel, go back to where you came from. He would send him to hell. And then Paul includes himself. He says, if at some point I come and visit you and I say, guys, I think I, think I got some things wrong. I think there's some other things that you need in order to be saved. I think there's some things that I used to teach that I, I need to apologize for and, and, and I need to adjust. He was saying, let me be accursed. Do not believe me in that day. Right? There, there are men that I've respected that are no longer walking with Jesus, that I've learned from, that they, they, they've taught me the Bible in, in a way that just was exceptional and it's insightful and they think it's bogus now. There, there are friends that, that I was in a youth group with that are now agnostics or they believe in God and Jesus and all that. They don't deny that this stuff is true. They just don't care. It's just not the center of their, of their life. They don't ever show up at church anymore. Right? People that I prayed with, people that mattered, to me. Right? These are some of the hard realities of life and of the time in which we live. But I want you to look at me. Right? Can I have your eyes? If, if I ever fall into temptation or walk away from the faith or start saying this stuff isn't true, you can tell me to go to hell and you stick with Jesus because he is worth it. No matter what the other human individuals in your life and the people that seemed like they mattered and were influential, no matter where their opinions go, right? we, 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 can't, we can't base our convictions and our confidence in these things by looking around us and saying, do y'all still care about that? 
are my friends still okay with this? We're still doing this thing, right? We're still doing the youth group thing. We're still raising our hands in worship. Okay, good. I'll still, I'll still do that. Right? We, we can't do this verification from other people as to the value of these things that we say that we believe. It's from God and God alone. The gospel does not need human validation and Paul doesn't need it either. Look at what he says in verse 10. This is one of my favorite statements that Paul makes. He says, For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Pleasing people, it doesn't make the list of priorities for Paul. He's so different from us in this way. If, if, you have, if you have an eye set on people's reactions, you're never going to say the kinds of things that Paul says here. You'd be too scared to. If you're constantly checking the, the, the likes and constantly checking the audience reactions, you won't be faithful. But Paul had become a slave of Christ. That's the word that he uses there for servant. You could translate it slave. His conscience was bound to Jesus. Jesus owned him. Not the approval of people. Not the whims of public opinion. He was a happy slave of Jesus. He would rather represent his master than bend to the expectations or demands of any other person. Right, settle in your heart in these years of your life. Who are you going to live to please? God or people? You can only serve one master. And right now, some of the people in your life might be okay with you pleasing God, but that might not always be the case. And that's why now is the time to be clear before that shifts. Paul does not need our approval. He does not fear our rejection. He's captive to God. He makes a case that his preaching was not based in human verification. He was a God-verified messenger. And how do we know that the gospel is legit? And the answer is because it comes from God. It comes with his authority. When God speaks, it's always true. It's always right. It, it, it always makes a claim on all of creation. And that makes sense. But the, the more skeptical among us might raise this objection. That's what Paul says. He says he's from God. He says he heard something from God. But how do we know that that is true? Should we believe him? All right, so there's a verified message and a verified messenger. Paul shares his testimony in the verses that follow. There, there's this AI technology now called deepfake. Anybody familiar with this? Right? Just Isaac. Specialist in drums and in new AI technology. I like it, my man. Let me give you all just a quick experience of, uh, of deepfake here. Um, 
Check out this video from Barack Obama. Era in which our enemies can make it look like anyone is saying anything at any point in time. Even if that's not where I wanted it to start. Not everything in this video is uh, PG. There we go. You see, I would never say these things, at least not in a public address, but someone else would. Someone like Jordan Peele. This is a dangerous time. Moving forward, we need to be more vigilant with what we trust from the internet. That's a time when we need to rely on trusted news. On trusted news sources like BuzzFeed that posted this. I don't know. Yeah, anyway. Um, but this is crazy right here. This is a little creepy because he's doing his best Obama voice impression and a computer which has a database of whatever Obama video that it can um, come up with has created that image that perfectly tracks with the words that he is saying. Um, so somebody could be forced to say something that they would never agree with, never affirm today, and you don't know what you're really dealing with. Well, Paul in the, in the first century, uh, long before any of this technology exists, People would have been looking at this guy, and he looks like Saul of Tarsus. He looks like the guy that I used to know, and yet what he is living for, suffering for, and promoting stands against everything he used to believe, what life was about for this man. He's undoing everything that that guy lived for. That's where Paul goes next. Doesn't make it seem to make any sense. Look at verse 13. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. This is the stuff that mattered to me. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. What Paul's saying here is that he didn't apply for the role of apostle. He, he, he didn't, you know, build his resume and submit it and sit down for some job interview. He didn't bring his marketing platform as an influencer to a publisher and says, hey, I've got a following here. How's about I use that in, in service of your message? You just tell me what you want to promote and I'll start writing books about that. That's not how he arrived in this position from, from every human vantage point. There was no reason for Paul to leave Judaism behind. He was deeply invested in it. He was a respected voice in that field. There, there were young boys who had his poster up in their bedrooms because they wanted to be Saul of Tarsus when they grew up. This man had credentials. He had, he had the best education that you could want in this field. He says, I was advancing there. He was prominent. He had everything going for him. 
And that Christianity stuff he hated. Those low lives and religious rejects, that weird movement that thinks their God died, cursed on a tree. Those blasphemers. That's what he felt about the people who followed Jesus. And so he was eager to round them up, send them to prison, send them to their deaths. I don't care where they end up. I just don't want to see them anymore. Until he met someone who had come back from the grave. And in an instant, he realized how wrong he was. And everything changed with these words, I am Jesus, whom you're persecuting. And his life was radically transformed, turned upside down. And Paul's making clear that this call was not his idea. His message wasn't something that he came up with. He didn't like this message until it was compellingly true. It was revealed to him. And actually, the word that's used there is is that it was revealed in him, right? Something went off inside of him. Something came alive in him when he encountered Christ. And his priorities were flipped upside down. And Philippians 3 says, everything that he was trying to add, every, every blue check of his, he tossed in the garbage because they did nothing for him anymore. And I'd sell it all if I needed to have Jesus. His calling to preach the gospel was so clear and so true and so arresting that he got to work immediately. He says in verse 16, I did not consult with anyone. Literally, I didn't consult with flesh and blood. He didn't need any flesh and blood confirmation. He was not looking for a human stamp of approval. He had seen Christ and he didn't need Anybody else, he didn't need the other apostles to verify his account before he started preaching. Now, now why is Paul talking in this way? Why, why is he taking this time to defend himself to the Galatians? Well, well the false teachers were claiming that, that Paul was, was a lackey for the other apostles. You had the Jerusalem elite, like Peter and James, and then Paul was some errand boy sent by them, and, and he was a lousy one. He, he goofed up the message. He told you about half of what you needed to know, but he left out some essential parts, and we've got the original version here, guys, and, and you need to be in our camp and join our group. And he's saying, you've got it all wrong. I didn't get my legitimacy from them. I wasn't sent by them. I didn't stop and take notes and, and, and say, tell me exactly what I need to say. What do I need to include? And lost some pages on, on the trip. Jesus sent me. Jesus told me the truth as really as Peter walked with Jesus in flesh and blood and sat with him and heard him teach and saw his miracles and received from that The the only truth that rescues, Paul saw him with his eyes. He he didn't have some weird dream or hallucination. In fact, the people that were right there with him, they heard the voice as well because Jesus physically 
visibly and blindingly was right in front on the road to Damascus. And that's why he started preaching right away. He says, the people that you think are impressive and get to hand out the blue checks, they do nothing for me. Look at what he says in the next chapter in verse 6. He says, and from those who seemed to be influential, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. Those, I say, who seemed influential added nothing to me. I didn't need them. I didn't need them for my message, and I didn't need their authorization. I had revelation. I had words out of the mouth of the Lord of glory, and I served him. Now, Paul's not trying to put down the other apostles like Peter and James, and we'll see in a moment that he preaches the exact same message, but he is claiming independence. He's saying nothing got lost in translation because he received the same gospel independently from Jesus himself, which means that when you and I read Galatians, we're hearing Jesus behind the words of Paul are the words of the creator and the savior of the world. He started preaching right away. His message was already set, but then years later, he went to Jerusalem to visit Peter. Look at verse 18. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and remained with him 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James the Lord's brother. So three years have gone by, and so Peter's not the source of his gospel or his apostleship, but, but the word that he uses there for, for visit, it's the word historeo. We get our word history from it. It, 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 it means to kind of do an, an investigative conversation. So he, he verifies his message with Peter, not because he needs Peter's approval, but, but he, he's showing that the thing that I've been preaching is what you guys have been preaching all along. He spends two weeks with Peter. And they probably, as, as one scholar has put it, they probably weren't talking about the weather. You know, Peter was probably sharing stories about Jesus and, and, and what it was like to walk with him and, 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 and go about the streets of Galilee following him. And he, and he visits with James, who, who wasn't a believer. He was a skeptic. He was a brother of Jesus. And it wasn't until he encountered Jesus alive from the dead that then he became a pillar in the church. But he, he says, I, I received nothing fundamentally new from this meeting. They didn't add anything to me. Look at how he puts this in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 3. Right, so... You have at least three years after Paul's conversion, but very early in the Christian movement, there, there's this moment of, of confirming the basic facts of the, of the life and message of Jesus. And he says in verse 3, I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day, in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, 
Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James. Then to all the apostles, last of all is one untimely born, he appeared to me. And, and the form that he's presented, this is something that would have been recited in the early church. You know, you, you have something called a creed where people recite these facts together. He says, we, we believe this. I, I delivered to you what I received. And he's talking back to within a couple of years after Jesus' death and resurrection and, 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 and what the congregations throughout the Christian world were proclaiming to one another and reciting to one another, one another were, were these facts. Jesus lived. He died for our sins. He rose again. He appeared. He showed himself back from the dead to, to Peter and the apostles and to his brother James and to at one point 500 people at the same time saw him. And Paul saw him. He spoke to him. Listen, this is, this is way too early as people who study how, how legends get formed over time, it takes a lot of time for that to develop. You know, the legend of King Arthur, I think it, it shows up in history in its written form something like 400 years after King Arthur was supposed to have lived, if he, if he did, right? There's just a, lo a long time for these stories and legends to develop and, and for all those kind of extra uh, fantastic details to get added in. From the very beginning, the, the Greco-Roman world was lit up with the news that Jesus of Nazareth had come back from the dead and showed himself to multitudes of people who were still alive, still eyewitnesses, and saying, we saw him. We touched him. We knew him. It, it didn't come about in little stages like Jesus was just a regular guy and then he was a religious teacher and then sure he died and you know, maybe he came back to life, maybe he was God. Look, look at what uh, Gary Habermas, how he puts it in his article, Evidence for the Historical Jesus. He says, what this shows is that the resurrection prop proclamation and the factual side of the gospel message as a whole which includes at least the deity, death, and resurrection of Jesus, according to the New Testament, was known, agreed upon, and shared from the very beginning. From the very beginning, it was public knowledge that these things had happened. It didn't slowly get added on over time. So Paul says in verse 22, I was still unknown in person, to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only were hearing it said, he who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy, and they glorified God because of me. Why did they give glory to God? Because they could see God did this. The only explanation for this life this radical transformation from a Christ hater and blasphemer to one who is willing to lay down his life for him was the work of God making himself known in Jesus Christ. And now we get to see Paul. 
Here's what I want us to feel together. I know you've been listening to a lot right now. But you have to, you have to settle something inside of you with this. You and I get to see him in this letter. We get to hear him. We get to read him. Do we glorify God? Do we recognize God in these words and in this teaching? Look at this thought from John Piper. It says, Paul's public life before and after his conversion to Christ was known by hundreds, probably thousands. His transformation from murderer to lover was widely known and undeniable. He's not claiming a private conversion experience. He is stating a public fact. His own explanation of dramatic and public change was that he had seen Jesus Christ who had been crucified and was raised from the dead. Everything that causes me to love Paul flows from this change. Either it is all owing to a great delusion or a great hoax, or it is worthy of my deepest amazement and admiration. The kind of human soul that emerges from his letters is not the soul of a deluded fanatic or a deceptive shyster. Right, th- those of you who've gone through the Alpha Course, you, you might be familiar with C.S. Lewis, uh, with his, his thought that you know, Jesus is either a, a liar, a lunatic, or a lord, given the things that he claimed for himself. And some people say, nah, you could also say he, w- he was a legend, you know? The, the stuff about him is just legendary. Well, uh, we've seen it's, it's way too early for that to happen. But you can present the same case with the Apostle Paul here. And he's either a liar, he, he's just lying through his teeth throughout this letter. Doesn't care who he's conning, doesn't care who he's deceiving. He says in, in chapter 1, verse 20, and what I'm writing to you before God, I do not lie. He's a lunatic. Dude went crazy. That's why he started living for the very things that he grew up hating. Or he was a servant of the Lord. But listen, there is not, there is not an, a serious historian on the planet who doubts the existence of this first century man and that he wrote Galatians. I don't care if you're an atheist. I don't care if you're a Buddhist. They know there was a guy, Saul of Tarsus, who became foundational in the early church and wrote the letter to Galatians. Nobody doubts that. Nobody doubts when you read these words, you read Paul's words. You read the words of somebody who lived at the same time of Jesus, who's claiming a direct encounter with Jesus, alive from the dead, sent with his authority. He claimed this from the very beginning. This didn't get added over time. In fact, Galatians is the first letter that Paul ever wrote. This is not evolution that happens. From the beginning, he's saying, I saw him. And now I serve him. And, and you and I reckon with these claims. Piper goes on to say, these are, of course, crazy claims unless they are true. So with regard to Paul, 
we have a real trilemma, right? Three options. Paul was either one, a fraud who knew his message was untrue, but used religion for some ulterior reason, a liar. If so, he was really stupid because whatever motivation he could have possibly gotten out of this, it just landed him beaten and stoned and shipwrecked and hated by thousands of people. Or two, deluded on a par with a lunatic. Or three, an authorized and truthful spokesman for the risen Lord Jesus Christ. During the six decades that I have believed in Jesus, I have from time to time tried to step back and ask myself as honestly as I can, why do you believe? That question is going to confront you in your future. And it probably already has. Why do you believe? How can you have the confidence to build your whole life around the truth of what Paul teaches? Three years ago, I wrote a whole book to answer this question of peculiar glory. But here's a short answer. I cannot with any sincerity consider Paul a liar or a lunatic. I cannot see him as a deceiver or deceived. He has won my trust. And, and listen, to, to read Galatians, to read Paul's writings, is not to read a crazy man or a charlatan. He, he is not a fool and he is not a fake. He is lucid, he is clear, he is compelling. And he is not self-serving. He, he's a man, if you're paying attention to the, ser- the sermon on Sunday, who, who is willing to suffer in every city, to take the last place, to endure anything rather than put a stumbling block in the way of the gospel. This is the definition of a genuine person. I, I feel the authenticity when I read his words. I feel like I, I'm visiting, not, not just with, with somebody shooting out concepts, but with a real person who is reliable. You get to know his character. He wins your trust. And that happens not just on the human level, but by the Holy Spirit as you interact with God's word. And, and, and look, I've, I've read Muhammad. I've read from the Buddha. I have read Joseph Smith. I've read the Bhagavad Gita. I've I've read from other religious writings. Instead of set aside the fact that in in many of those cases, those writings have come from centuries after that those religious leaders actually existed. They're, They're not even written by them. But but nothing comes anywhere close to the clarity and the reality and the beauty of Paul's letters. And so the question is, what do you do with these claims? Because there's, there's no way to just kind of sit this one out and say, yeah, maybe I believe that stuff and maybe there are some other things that don't agree at all and totally contradict that that I'll also add to my system. And people are comfortable doing that today. But at the end of the day, there are only three options to take. 
And I, I don't mean to ask that, not just how do you respond today, but how you respond when the world around you and everybody's opinion that you care about say that's no longer worth it. Because your life and your future, your eternity, everything hangs on how we respond to this. Paul's life was turned upside down by the risen Jesus that he encountered. It destroyed his schedule. It changed his priorities. But he became the one person, the one approval. He was living to please. And my prayer is that as we spend time with this letter and we place that up against every alternative and every counterfeit, it just would ring true and true and true in a way that we don't reserve any part of who we are. We don't hold anything back from embracing what is everything. Let's pray. God, these are questions that we ask. Our culture creates reasons to ask them, observing the world around us. But Lord, just the realities of life and our own limitation and our own humanity, Lord, we wonder, why do we believe what we believe? What's all this about? When so many people have so many opinions and there's so much pressure for me to conform to something else, there was something, Father, that came alive in the Apostle Paul when he met Jesus. God, would you, would you arrest us in that way? Would you ground us deeply in your truth? God, would you put convictions in our bones that, that free us from constantly putting one eye on what other people think about that? whether that's valued or appreciated in the, in the shifting fads of this life. We want you to be true even if every person is a liar because you are the one who gives freedom and joy, grace and peace. And we want it. Lord, help us to receive it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, Saturday night, 7 o'clock at Lakeside Mall. Head to the Fry's house after. <laughs>